Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. From Hope, BC, I'm Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. As we talked about the pandemic or had many conversations about uh, what was going on, the way the fire service responded and acted, uh, one of the folks we spoke to was Chris Harrell. And uh, Chris uh, joined us, uh, joins us from from Minto, Ontario, and uh, certainly firefighting in Canada, readers and listeners uh, familiar with Chris and uh, the work that uh, you were going, the troubles that we all went through in the last couple of years. But great to have you on the podcast again, Chris. So welcome. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to be back, Tom. I always always appreciate the conversations that we have and, and uh, look forward to this one. Your world has changed. I mean, you're you're the acting CAO and uh, director of fire services in, in Minto. Uh, what the uh, quick fast forward here what is that uh, you say you've got another fire department that you're managing now um yeah we have a great management team here that um works together that we focus on two departments minto and wellington north um we're we're a joint management team that manages two separate fire departments so both departments kind of answer to their own councils and they're still totally separate but we have a joint management team which uh allows us to do a lot of interoperational things together, like purchasing together and, and hiring together and, and all that kind of stuff, because there's just one management team looking out for both. So it works out really well. And it's, it's been a, it's been a big challenge, but it's been a fun challenge because uh, we've increased our staff from a total of 80 firefighters to about 125 firefighters now. So it's, it's fun. It makes, it makes coming to work every day different and challenging, but it's, it's a good challenge. Refresh our uh, memories in terms of, of your community, Minto, Ontario, and where that is, and, uh, and some of the, uh, the challenges that, uh, I guess, operationally you face in terms of risks and, uh, and uh, vulnerabilities. Uh, yeah, Minto is, is located, uh, we'd like to say, halfway between the city of Toronto and, and the shorelines of Lake Huron. So we're right in the middle. We don't have any lakes. We don't have any, we have one river that goes through, so we don't really have anything that draws people that way. We're right smack dab in the middle. So we get a lot of travelers from the city that go through here to go to their cottages and stuff like that. Uh, so we, we deal with that. I think the biggest challenge that we have is similar to what numerous fire departments have and related to, to what you said earlier about COVID is just getting people out and volunteering. I think coming out of COVID now, we're realizing that uh, firefighters, volunteer firefighters are realizing that they, they don't have as much time to dedicate to the fire department as they once did. COVID taught them that it's okay to stay at home and it's okay to hang out with your spouse now that, you know, maybe you didn't do as much before or hang out with your kids. So those extra four or five hours that you dedicated a week or a month to the fire department, maybe just aren't available. So I think that's the new reality that we as, as chiefs and, and especially in us in our area that we have to, to learn to deal with that um, the amount of disposable hours that our firefighters have for us is just not the same as it was two years ago all volunteer in, in your region or is it your composite? Uh, we're categorized as composite, but because we have uh, three full-time management and then a half-time uh, fire inspector. Um, so we're considered composite, but all of our firefighters, our operational staff are all volunteers. So similar to other departments across Canada that called composite, but really our operations are done by, by all volunteers. We, we talk about uh, recruitment, retention, and, and it's an interesting point you just raised in terms of the fact that I sort of equate retention with members that are maybe new and trying to keep them motivated. But I'm thinking now you're saying that you've got existing longtime members that kind of went, wow, I, I don't mind the staying at home. That, 
that's interesting. Yeah, I think, and I think we're no different than any other industry. Um, as you mentioned, like part of my role is acting CAO is I'm getting a good, great perspective of our community um, through the planning and development side and uh, listening to all our employers in town. And, and they're saying the same thing, like people just don't have the, the time to dedicate to um, their jobs or to their hobbies. You talk to the service clubs, we listen to them through our, our development people and and our economic development person. And they say they just, they're, they're hurting for membership because people, they like to come home and go for a walk because that's good for mental health. That's what they did for during COVID. They like to go to the gym. They like to read a book. They like to cook, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, those are all times that we cut into as, as volunteer fire departments. We say, well, they come home from work, come to training. You know, you have this weekend off. We need you to go take this course. And, you know, we need you to go do this public education event or community engagement event. And they're just saying, I, I really want to, but I just don't have the time. And uh, I think that's something that we have to get used to for sure. You know, you talk about being in the role at a CAO level, and I've always wondered and talked to those fire chiefs that have stepped into those roles. How, how has the, uh, the mood changed? I mean, the perspective of the fire service to being seen from the municipality. I mean, normally we're kind of fighting for everything to say, here's what we do. Here's what we need. Have you been able to bring something to that to the table, or has that always been there in your area? That's a great question, and it's a it's a great uh, topic of conversation that I think we could definitely, you know, talk about. And I think you know it's a thing that the conferences in the future need to look at because, as fire, we come from the traditional. Uh, the fire chief was a volunteer fire chief, and the fire chief would say, "I need a new pumper truck," and they'd say, "Why?" Because I'm the fire chief, and I say so. And, you know, that was the way it was done in the day. You know, we just, that's the way we got our things. Um, but it's definitely changed. You know, you have to be able to make a business plan. You have to be able to have your reserve plans ahead. You have to have your 10-year forecast, your asset management. You have to have all that done as a fire department. It, no longer the days, as you said, you know, we have to beg, borrow, and steal. But our counterparts are saying, well, I've got a, a 10-year cycle, and I've got this business plan drawn up and strategically planned this and that. That's the expectations are being placed on a lot of fire departments, even from small towns, because that's what's that's what the other departments do, and that's what is expected. So we have to, in a way, as an industry, raise our game to be ready to 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 compete with that and to show why we need that. Because an example, um, you know, we all know we've been to our trade shows, and, and that fire truck that used to be five hundred thousand dollars is now a million dollars. So you know, we're competing with that million dollar road project or that million dollar water project. So I think fire chiefs and fire departments, what I've learned is really need to lift their game and, and be ready to, to come up with those plans to justify new equipment and new positions, you know, deputy chiefs, prevention officers, training officers, that type of thing. It must be positive for a fire chief to actually see that side, you know, to realize that, well, why won't you allow me to buy that million dollar vehicle? And you go, wow, I'm in charge of the people in charge of road building and planning. And there's the development services department and holy cow. now I, I do see there's other budget centers that need attention. Uh, does that give you, I mean, different perspective and maybe more fire chiefs should take a closer look. Absolutely. That that's a great idea. And I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely the truth. Um, I'll give, we just came off a meeting before I came on this podcast with you that we had with all of our department heads that I called and we started talking about budget for next year and the, a lot of the project costs have gone up by 50%. So um, uh, the one street, that, the main street of one of our municipalities was a $4 million project. It's now a $10 million project. So we put that on there and said, how can we afford this when our tax base can only give you this much money? 
and it, it goes, it, it gives you a really great perspective to say, okay, well maybe I don't need, you know, I have to push that fire truck back a couple of years because this is more important to my community to get this main street done because we're dealing with hundred year old water pipes in the ground and stuff like that, that I don't have hydrants. Well, then I don't need really a truck to be able to hook to the hydrant because our water pipes are old. And so it gives you that perspective, but it, it's just working with your other fellow department heads and, and, and really doing that, you know, to kind of do our theme interoperability to say, you're, you're, you're talking to the other ones and you're understanding what they go through. And then they understand what we have to go through. Cause the trade-off was we need to get our, our cycles done for our air packs. So we need to get air packs. So, they are like, okay, well, we understand you need to get that this year. That's a mandatory thing. Like you have to do that. So um, that we'll work with you to get that so that we can get our project maybe the next year. So it's, it's a good exercise for sure. Reminds me of the first time I took uh, firefighters, you know, from the floor, so to speak, to volunteers to a trade show. And when they started to see the stuff that we always see, uh, it was kind of scary because they, they wanted it all, of course, but you have to explain that there's there's only so much money and and so much you know time and to spend it and it's it's tough i've always maintained it's hard to spend money at a at a local government level yeah absolutely yeah and to to determine which project is the most important like i've always said the same as you i would not want to be a counselor or a mayor to have to make that decision that we as department heads put in front of them and say which one do you do you deem the plow truck you know, the water treatment plan or the fire department, which one's the most important? And they look and they well, they're all important. We don't know which one to pick. You, you say, like it's, it's a no-win situation. So it's really good when department heads can work together, I found, and it makes a successful municipality work together and bring a plan to council to show them that you're working together and say, okay, I understand that the, the public works project's more important this year than my project. So I'm going to put it on park, but I, you know, mine's coming up next year. So just so you know, and, and work together that way. And then you don't put councils in corners like that and then really work together for that way so how is how has emergency management changed uh, you know from disaster and, and such response for you i mean as a cao you are i guess likely responding as more of a a, a different role in an eoc i would think yeah the, another great point because yeah doing the dual role is, is is challenging that but in that it's even more challenging because i have to make sure that the deputies that we have and the district chiefs we have are, are trained ready to go out and complete the operations in the field and do that because my job can't be out there anymore it's it's got to be being the liaison with fire plus doing the cao role in the, in the municipal office so you have to really make sure your people behind you are well trained and knowledgeable and know all that stuff um because yeah the, the role that i play is totally different and, and you can't leave them unequipped to be able to do what they need to do if the situation arises which you know you're well aware of from what you've had to go through in the past year so totally exactly it's that extra body in the room uh from a fire perspective when you're at a different level in terms of being a operations a sections chief or something of that you you can't run the fire department honestly when they're operational in the field. So uh, I wanted to talk today a little bit more and, and talking about operations and such. And I know you've been uh, quite uh, vocal about um, interoperability. Is that the right term? Uh, talking about some of the things that, uh, I guess the successes you've had in your community in Minto and an area working with other agencies like the police and, and the ambulance. Have, what have you done different? What's, what's, uh, what's unique, if, if any? Um. It's just, I think it's just the unique thing that we have. And in, I, I will say we're extremely fortunate that we have a really good chief, fire chiefs group that works together and, and, you know, goes for the common goals and strives common projects and work together. But we're just very lucky to have 
great partnerships with our ambulance and our police. Our paramedics are top notch and, and, you know, they are at our meetings all the time. So, which I'll talk about in a minute, but I think the biggest thing with this interoperability or, you know, interagency cooperation or however the terms that people want to talk about is building those partnerships with the police and the ambulance and putting aside your differences. Like, you know, they are the different, they're funded differently uh, depending on the province and across the country that you live in. Some are provincial, some are local police forces, but it's just getting to know that person that's in charge of the police and getting to know the person that is in charge of the paramedic and then understanding how the challenges that they face. Um, like our paramedic friends are in dire straits now. Like they have their, their short employees, their offload delays at the hospitals, you know, they're, they're going through mental health crisis. Like the, the numbers that in Ontario are showing that paramedics are almost two times more likely to go off on mental health leave than anybody else. Like they're, they're just, they're, they're fight facing things. And, and to understand that instead of us piling stuff on is, is good. And it goes a long way to building that partnership and working with them whenever we can to help them out. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing about creating a good environment for interoperability is just getting to know the person and then creating those partnerships. Um, so what we, the big thing, there's a bunch of things which we can get into, but the, the biggest thing is when we have our local chiefs meetings, the, the EMS chief and the police and the fire inspector, sorry, the police inspector are at the table with us and they're there every month and they do the bring up their updates and then they listen to what our concerns are and we go through what our projects are. And then it's amazing how many things you can find that everybody's kind of working together on, which is, which is pretty neat. So. What is your service in Ontario, or at least in Minto? The police are, are Ontario Provincial and, and, and a provincial ambulance service? Uh, correct. On the police, yes, it's a provincial we, with the OPP, so the Ontario Provincial Police, which um, the majority of the provinces, there's still a, a few that have local police services, but most most uh, counties have gone. So the Ontario Provincial Police, but then you deal with your local county detachment. So ours would be like the Wellington County Detachment. So we deal with the inspector that runs that detachment. Um, and then ambulances is, is run by the county and slash the city. So the city of Guelph and our county, uh, they run the ambulance. Um, they're still funded 50% by the province, but, um, and then 50% from the regional local dollars, but they have it still the, the city uh, who looks after hiring and, and that has a, an EMS chief that is responsible for running the paramedic service. So the EMS chief comes to our meetings and if, and if he can't, then he sends his deputy chief to make sure they have a representative so that we can all talk and, and, and uh, come up with anything. So it uh, works really well that way. What level of uh, uh, then what level of first responder training would your members have? Is it, uh, and I, would it be the same called FR or EMR? Or what would, uh, what level would you guys be at at a paramedic level? Uh, no, no. So we would be, some departments have similar to an EMR level, but it's, it's mostly like the, the Red Cross um, full EMR kind of first aid. It's, it's not the health 20 hour, four hour, it's the 40 hour course. And it kind of varies from department to department, but it's, it's, it's more or less your, your first aid course, I guess, um, with a little bit of extra training throwing in there and the CPR. So we just do the tiered response similar to other places that um, you go to to the VSA calls, the unconscious calls. Um, we don't necessarily go to every single chest pain or shortness of breath or anything like that. That's the ambulance. Also talk about the fact that you guys are, no matter what level you're performing at, at least you are making a difference and helping in the community and assisting your, your, uh, your colleagues at the paramedic service. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Then that's what the key is, is we work with them and, and we invite them into different training sessions to show us how their equipment works and what they expect of us. And when they ask us to go get a piece of equipment, um, you know, we, we know what it is so that we can bring it to them and, and that kind of stuff. So definitely not an adversarial and, and uh, it's, it's definitely a cooperation level, which, which a lot of areas have and, and that, but just fortunate that we have, as I said, that the group all sits down together and, and talks regularly once a month to, to make sure things are, are moving forward. I think we, we're very fortunate in our area to have the same, re, you know, relationship with our uh, other services and, and because, and I think that's the small town kind of feel that you have because you, you need each other. And uh, I mean, was there ever a time it was not as cooperative uh, in your, in your time? Have you ever seen that? Or is this a, is this been a big change for you guys? Um, it's, it's never been, like I would say adversarial to the fact that it was, it was detrimental to patient care or anything like that. That's for sure. But there was definitely times of animosity um, and times of, uh, well, you know, they got funding for this or you're trying to do too much and you're trying to take their job, like that kind of thing. But that's been gone for a little while. The OPP was different because they were provincial run organizations. So it was, it was difficult compared to when we all had municipal police forces where you know, the police chief lived in town or you knew the police chief and, and all that kind of stuff. So that took a while to transition to that and for the OPP to kind of realize, you know, what our skill sets were and how we worked with them and, and that kind of stuff. But um, once we got past that, it was it's uh, it's really taken off and, and really worked well. Beyond, you know, gathering and meeting on a regular basis, what other things have you done or can you do or look to do? to improve the response when you're working together. I'm, I'm thinking of shared radio frequencies, those kind of things. Uh, have you done any of that at all? Yeah, that, that would be the ultimate. We would love to do that. Um, unfortunately, you know, that that's, I don't, I honestly don't think that'll ever happen because of provincial radio frequencies. And, you know, I know Ontario is putting in a new provincial radio system for the police and the, and the ambulance it's a multi-billion dollar project. And unfortunately for small fire departments like ours, we can't afford to, to get into that system. So I don't think that'll ever happen, but you know, maybe there's with the way technology is, you know, they can be patching across to different frequencies and different things that we could talk to one another, but there's work way work arounds that too. That we have, we make sure that all the, the, the top management has the, each other's cell phone numbers so that if something does happen, we can just pick up the phone and call each other. And when you see it, you know that it's, you know, it's an emergency or something's happening that we respect each other enough that we'll answer the phone and not let it go to voicemail type thing. So, but little things like that, workarounds, you know, uh, WhatsApp or text messaging back and forth that we're in different groups that you can make sure um, if you need to send a quick text out to say, you know, this road's closed or where are you guys at or what's going on. So that type of thing, I think goes a long way too. I think that, uh, you know, we, we, we've, we've tried the combined event channel, you know, out in the, uh, out in the region and it worked for a while, but it was again, haphazard from switching frequencies or switching channels on a call. I mean, it made total sense when you could interact with each other en route to the same call. And I think communication has got to be the biggest challenge when responding with another agency. I, 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 I don't know all the answers and I, I, and I don't think any of us will ever get them all, but it's got to be one of the, would you think that's one of the biggest keys is that communication part? Absolutely. On the response aspect. Uh, absolutely. That's, yeah. If we could ever get that, that we could all operate under one system that we could talk um, back and forth and that um, that would be the ultimate solution and the ultimate way to, to be able to interact on scene 
but as you said, you know, that's, we're not sure how to that would ever happen or how it can be. So hopefully the, the powers to be can someday figure that out. Um, and lobbying continues. I know with a lot of provincial associations and that to try and to get something going on and hopefully they're successful someday. But in the meantime, I think there's a lot on the local level you can do to make sure that your relationship is really good with your, with your fellow agencies to make sure that you're ready to deal with that and you're ready to have the right talks and and everybody's on the same page with everything so i think that's the key would you would you agree that you don't have to be a, a larger department to have those same relationships with the with the other agencies oh yeah i agree yeah and, and to your point earlier i think sometimes it's it's easier um when it's with a smaller department one of the reasons and i know that we have a great relationship with the paramedics is we employ a few of the paramedics as volunteer firefighters so you know, they're, they can, they know what's going on and we get the updates about what's happening with their service and, you know, that they're having staffing issues or this is happening. And, you know, we're always getting their perspective, but there's that respect level there because our firefighters respect them as what they can do as paramedics because they see them all the time at medical calls and that, that we do. So that, that helps the respect level go a long way for sure. How, how would you recommend a, a simple way for a, for a, you know, someone listening today that says, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to get better connected to it, it's what is, I mean, we, we always say that the time to exchange business cards is not on the side of the riverbank when the river's rising. Uh, <laughs> we need to build these relationships beforehand. And uh, it's, it's maybe a simple message from you to say, yeah, it's a, it's a phone call, start it, make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Bang on Tom. Like it's, it's a simple call to say most areas have chief meetings. Like you meet with your fellow chiefs in your region or your County or your city. Um, just pick up the phone and call and extend the invitation. You know, Hey, we're having lunches, <laughs> lunch meeting. Lunch always brings everybody out and uh, just say, would you like to come out, you know, once uh, a year, start with once a year, someone just come out to the meeting and bring your perspective. And we'd love to hear a report on what's new with you guys. And, you know, just make sure it doesn't turn into a complaint session and that you just bombard somebody with everything that's going wrong because everybody knows the issues and they can be eventually dealt with. But just extend that invitation to to come to one of your meetings and, and to the EMS chief and say, hey, you know, we, we want to hear what you guys are doing and, and the good things that are happening. So it's amazing what a little bit of conversation then can all of a sudden lead to. So before we wrap up today, I, I want to talk back a bit more about uh, COVID and, and post COVID. Uh, you know, we, we talked, you and I, uh, uh, not again, not that long ago and chatting about, you know, isolation and the fact that we were still doing what we normally do. What's changed in your world? I mean, it, it, it's kind of, okay, it's all kind of over. We're on the way out. Uh, did you keep a lot of training procedures, uh, Zoom calls, or did you throw everything aside and say, we're going back to the way it was? <laughs> I think a lot of people want to just throw some of the stuff we were doing aside that they don't have to do anymore. But I, I think the world has changed. And I, I think you would agree, Tom, that, you know, masking, we still wear N95s at every medical call. And, and, and my spouse works in the hospital setting. And, and I don't think that's something that's going away. I think, you know, we talk about, we debrief after every emergency management, you with your mudslides and, and the flooding that you had to go through you debriefed a lot and you learned probably a lot and, and you're trying to implement stuff. COVID's the same way. We learned stuff that, you know, why did the cold rate go down? Why did the flu rate go down? Because we're all wearing masks, you know, at, at medical calls and stuff like that and protecting ourselves with PPE and bringing your stuff back and washing it. And that, so I said, that kind of stuff, I don't think is ever going to go away. That's what we had to have learned coming out of this. Um, as for like 
we, we, we're, we're back right off the Zoom training and <laughs> doing Zoom sessions with our firefighters, but we are implementing a learning management system where they will be able to go on and do some online courses and do some stuff like that, that we're going to phase in eventually, but we're definitely giving them a break from staring at the computer screen at each other for a while. But um, it's definitely a way of the training of the future that I think is going to stick around. I remember the last time we spoke and you said during the height of it all that you had members coming to you that said you owe them a party. <laughs> I think we all owe them. We, we, we all have our, our uh, banquets that we have to get back to. Have you, have you, have you, have you given them their banquet yet? <laughs> it's, it's scheduled for October 1st. We pushed it out to make sure that we were well clear of all this. So we have one scheduled and just last week, actually, we got uh, three of our stations together and we had a big chicken barbecue and all that after a training session. It says it'll make up for one other party we missed. So they're still keeping track and they, they still remind me of how many more I owe them. <laughs> How and have you noticed? I've noticed a change in the in the members and the volunteers, and and I, I don't know whether it's that appreciation to actually be back and sort of doing things in the now normal uh, or what that is. I don't know. Are you seeing that as well? Yeah, like they are. You know, they are out and coming out in, in bigger numbers when it is the training session, as we said. Like they they will do that and and come out and uh, and enjoy it and are jumping in to participate in that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, they go back, it's a little bit of the extras though that we're asking them to do that. That's where we're kind of struggling with kind of getting them out to do some of the extra stuff, but there is, they are thankful. I get, we just, again, the meeting I just had with our, my, the municipal employees that I work with and our recreation department said they're seeing record numbers at, at functions and they just had a party in the park where they had two bands and they never seen so many people out. <laughs> people just want to get out and do that kind of thing once in a while and just, you know, social and, and get out and do their things again. I think uh, most fire chiefs, uh, operational people have recognized that uh, it is different. And I think that uh, we're going to see people more appreciative of what, uh, what they do uh, for their communities. And hopefully that translated when it comes to recruit time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully that helps with our recruitment for sure. <laughs> I appreciate your time, uh, my friend. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and good luck with, uh, with your, uh, your work. I mean, I don't know how much, how many more hats you can wear, but at the end of the day, it's uh, it's uh, it's all good, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you. The pleasure is mine. I, I always enjoy speaking with you, Tom, and uh, we have great chats, and it, hopefully people can get something out of our chats, and then we move forward. But I'm just fortunate to have a really lucky, a good team around me here, and, and they do all the work, and there'll be time to do this kind of stuff. So it's, it's good. Thanks, Chris. We'll do it again. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast. Visit firefightingincanada.com for more episodes.